My, um, my mom was telling me after the first service this story that I, I guess I didn't know. And it's one of those stories that if, when it happens to you, like it feels significant, but you don't know exactly how to process it or whether or not other people are going to have the similar response. You don't even know what your response should be. Uh, and, you know, as, as most of you know, that we spent time on the mission field in Taiwan. My parents, uh, for transpor- transportation, drove around Vespas, you know, like kind of the Italian scooter, the big, you know, Italian scooter. That's what they drove around. So, you know, you imagine that when we went somewhere, the two Vespas kids piled on. Uh, but one day she was traveling um, and about to cross a busy street, about to kind of pull in front. And traffic, I mean, traffic here, you know, can be tricky or difficult. Traffic in some of these countries is like, it's like every day you're taking your life in your hands. You just never know what's going to happen, you know. You know, God protect me. And she was about to cross this busy street, and her steering wheel, you know, flipped sharply to the right. She hadn't done that, you know, just went sharply to the right. And this, you know, vehicle, I don't know, bus or something, just comes zooming past. And she's like, whoa, if I had gone, I probably would have been hit by that thing. Was... Was that, was that God? Did God just protect me or did something happen and is that all just coincidence? And I think a lot of us have experiences like this that we're just not quite sure how to categorize. They feel like slightly supernatural, you know, mildly miraculous. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, I don't, I don't know for sure. I'm not sure exactly where to put that. Um, you know, it could be all kinds of things, but it's the, qu- the question that is raised in these is, is, was that God or more to our point, is that the Spirit? Was that the Spirit? And so, for example, it could be something like, I don't know, maybe you've had something like this. You had a dream about someone, like a vivid dream, and, and, and you woke up and you're like, why are they on my mind? I don't think about them daily. I haven't thought about them in years. And you're like, maybe, I don't know, maybe I should call them or text them. And you, you reach out to them and they're like, oh, I'm so glad you reached out to me. I was going to, I needed somebody, I, you know, whatever. It just felt like what you did was the right thing to do, but it like came to you in this dream. Now, is that just like your brain molecules, synapses just firing? And you, you know, who knows? Is that just, you you know, like some people would describe, is that just the universe trying to tell you something? Or was that the Spirit? Have, have you ever had this happen where you receive a call from someone? Or maybe you come to church and you've you got something stressing you out. You know, maybe it's a family situation or a work situation. And you're talking to somebody and in the course of conversation, without you prompting, without you bringing it up, they start addressing that exact same topic. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, I think maybe God is speaking to me through this person. Like they didn't know the situation and you're not sure what to do with it because you know if you like walked around, maybe you'll tell your husband or your wife and you'll be like, this weird thing happened. But if you just walked around and you were like, hey, this thing, God did this. A lot of people you know would be like, I don't know. Maybe that was God. Maybe that was coincidence. So there's these, there, there are these supernatural kind of spiritual events, but you're just not sure how to categorize them. Like, what, how, is the Spirit working in that way? Was that the Spirit that did that? I think how we process and understand events like this has to do with like our spiritual temperament or our spiritual aptitude. Um, you know this as well as I do. There are people in our congregation who are very much free-spirited 
focus on God, focus on the spirit types. And what I mean by that is that they're like, every time they get a green light, they're like, oh, God has miraculously changed the light to green for me so I could have a smooth commute. And you're like, oh, I, don't know. I don't know about that. Or maybe they're, every, time, so every time they're in the checkout counter uh, at Target, they're talking to that person and they're like asking them questions like, how are you doing? No, really, how are you doing? Because this could be a God moment. This could be like a God conversation. And so they're just wired that way. You know what I mean? For them, the most significant time of the church service is the worship. You know, they would love to like just be singing, belting it out, raising their hands, closing their eyes. They just want to experience and feel the worship. And they put up with the rest of the service because they get to do that. That's one type of person. There's another type of person, another extreme in churches that tends to be a little bit more... um, skeptical, a little bit more biblically skeptical. Like they would say, sure, yes, I believe in, in, in God being able to do the miraculous. I'll pray for someone to be healed. But when, when God does answer a prayer, when someone is healed or when someone gets that job or whatever the circumstances are, they sort of in their minds think, I wonder if that would have happened anyway. I wonder if that just happened and I don't, did my prayer really make a difference? Did the, the fact that, that, that I brought this to God, did that, did that really matter? I mean, they're not ruling out the miraculous, but they're a little bit more skeptical. This is the type of person that if they have a conversation with one of these types and one of these types says, oh, God spoke to me, one of these types is like, I don't know. I'm not sure God spoke to you. I don't, I, they wouldn't say that, but that's what's going on in their mind. They're more skeptical. They don't believe that the miraculous cannot happen. They're just sure that they, they're not sure that they see it everywhere. And so for this person, the most uh, exciting time of the service is the message. The time where they're, uh, they're supposed to use their brains and like you like tell us, read the Bible, you know, unfold these ideas. And that's the part that I want. I'll put up with the songs until we can get to that. So those are two extremes, like, and there's a range, obviously, between uh, one and the other, but those are the extremes on this, uh, on this spectrum. Any guesses as to which side of the spectrum our church has typically leaned over the years? Which side have we been on? Any, any guesses? Yes, we have been a little bit more skeptical about those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I don't think that's any surprise to anybody. Uh, we have not been a type of church where there, it's just like super about feelings and emotions. And it's been a little bit more about uh, let's read the Bible. Let's dig into scripture. Let's have Bible classes. Let's really highlight that part of it. Not that we don't care about the other. And I'm not saying this is even you. I'm saying this has been the personality of our church. We've just been a little bit more on this end of the spectrum uh, for better or worse. And I'm going to argue that today that it's been mostly for worse. Um, so last week, I left you with a little bit of tension. Uh, we, we brought up this idea that maybe the Spirit is kind of behind the scenes, orchestrating things, working through people, manipulating circumstances. Maybe that happens, but we didn't give you any definitive answers, or any definitive conclusions. We just said, hey, be open to the idea that the Spirit might be doing that. We did say the Spirit is interacting with the world in some way, Scripture is very clear about that. Scripture is doing that. Um, the Spirit also interacts with the world by gifting people to interact with the world in supernatural ways. So there are people who are wired different ways, and they use those gifts to uh, those Spirit gifts to help the world. But we we kind of left open some questions about these miraculous gifts of the Spirit. There's this whole category of gifts that we've kind of like, we're, we're not quite sure what to do with, or maybe we are sure what we think, but we haven't really like nailed things down. 
So here's what we're not going to do today. You are not going to get a definitive answer. I, I'm so sorry to disappoint you because you came, you, you said, well, you said last week you didn't give us an answer and you're not going to give us an answer this week. No, but here's what we will do. We will create, I'm going to do my best to create um, a scaffolding, a framework for our theology so that when we think about those miraculous things, we have a place to put them. When we think, and in fact, when we think about the gifts of the Spirit. We have a place to understand that. Like we ask, we ask and answer the question of like, do I pursue that? Or is that something for a different age and a different era? So that's what we're going to do today. And we are going to approach this topic from this end of the spectrum because that's who our church has been. So if you are wired this way, some of what I'm going to say is going to be like, well, of course. But I want you to understand that that's who our church personality has been. So we're going we're gonna to kind of try to unpack it a little bit more academically. But we're going to say maybe we've been missing out on something uh, over here. Hopefully that, that makes, that, that's all fair. Okay, uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I told you uh, last week that there are about four places in Scripture that make reference to supernatural, miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Some of you are very familiar with some of those. We tend to think, when I say supernatural, miraculous gifts, we tend to think speaking in tongues, prophecy, and healing. Those are like the really kind of uh, headline-grabbing gifts. Uh, But there are more that the Bible talks about, and there are four places in Scripture that talk about them. Really, two that talk about gifts, and two that talk about like... um, roles that the Spirit gives people to live out. So we've read 1 Corinthians. We're going to dig back into that a little bit today. And then we are going to read this this passage here in Romans 12. So Romans 12, starting at the end of verse 5. In Christ, we, though many, everybody here, form one body. Each member, each person that has said, I'm part of this body, belongs to all the others. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each. Now, this is one of those things where sometimes you like to learn Greek words, sometimes you don't, but this is a Greek word that you already know, which I always think is kind of cool. The Greek word for gifts is the word charisma. You know that word. And we use it today to define someone who is very gifted in in like being like this big, maybe attractive personality. They've got got a way of bringing other people along with them. That's how the word has uh, developed. But the word just means gifts. That's That's all it means, charisma. And so we have actually turned it even to a theological perspective. So we have got a charismatic emphasis within Christendom of people who really lean into, I guess they would be over here, people People who really lean into the spiritual gifts, especially those really sensational ones. And we call them charismatics, but that's where this word comes from. It comes from gifts, so the charisma. So everybody has a different charisma according to the grace given to each. Um, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Well, interesting, okay. If it is uh, serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And and so all Paul's arguing, we know this, all the authors arguing here, is that church has got like a bunch of different people with a bunch of different gifts, and it all kind of works together. Like we're a team. Like you have some things that I can't do. I have some things that you can't do, or maybe can't do well, and vice versa, right? We're all kind of, we're all on the same team. Let me give you a quick example of this. Um, 
On Wednesday nights, Logan, our children's minister, uh, does kids' classes with little kids over Zoom or FaceTime or something like that. Now, over the last 11 months, we've all learned what Zoom was, and we've all come to hate it with a passion, right? Everybody, I've not met someone who's like, Zoom, I mean, they understand and love the technology, but nobody is like, oh, I can't wait to get on a Zoom call. That's just really the highlight of my day. However, imagine a Zoom call, and then you add kindergartners to the mix. Does that improve the experience? Probably, actually. It really does. But you have, there are people within this congregation who have been gifted with the ability to interact with your young children in order to teach them things about Christ in an age-appropriate way, and they are willing to do that online. And in fact, some of them even get energized by that endeavor, where for some of you that would be completely draining, that would be miserable, you would hate it, you would probably quit church, and maybe even become an atheist if we said you have to get on a Zoom call with kindergartners every week, because it would be so difficult, but it's so good that we live in a, 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 a family where we're all together and the other people have gifts that we don't have. It's a wonderful, beautiful, enjoyable thing. That's awesome, and we should really be appreciative of that. And, and Paul wrote that these charisma are for, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, they are for the common good, which means that you have something that you have been gifted that helps everybody else. And you're like, well, what is my gift? I don't know, but we can figure that out. Some of you do know, some of us don't know. Some of you are like, and it doesn't have to be one of the things listed here, but maybe you're really good at showing mercy. Well, then do that. Maybe you're good at leading. Well, then do that. Maybe you're good at generosity. Well, then do that. Do that diligently. Do that, uh, uh, give generously. They're for the common good. Now, when we read that 1 Corinthians 12 passage, there is a gift in there that we'd be really fine. Most of us are like, okay, I'm fine with teaching, fine with leading, fine with mercy, fine with serving, but it said prophecy in there. And that sounds like some sort of weird fantasy Lord of the Rings kind of thing. Like, is that prophecy? Like, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm fine with some of the gifts. And we probably, some of you in the room, would not be fine with things like speaking in tongues or uh, healings, things like that. Because some of these gifts feel like maybe they're too dangerous. In uh, Christmas uh, 2019, um, you know, we got, of course, this is when everybody could get together, but... We had uh, my, my sister's family and her kids and, you know, my brother, my, my other sister, all together. And it's, I think it's a great joy of aunts and uncles to give gifts to their nieces and nephews that the parents wouldn't want the nieces and nephews to have. You know what I mean? I personally really enjoy giving loud gifts because I think that's fun for everybody. But I, in, in this case, it was my 10-year-old nephew and one of his relatives, not me, had given him this weird ninja throwing star, like super sharp kind of thing where the blades unfolded. It sounds really cool, but it's like incredibly dangerous for a 10-year-old. Like this, you know, just really, you know, it's kind of a, a rite of passage sort of gift where you give the kid like, you know, the knife or the BB gun, or like are they finally responsible to handle this level of, uh, you know, are they mature enough to ham- handle this level of responsibility? So uh, he had been given that, and he's playing with that. He had also been given boots that were like pogo, I think they were called like pogo stick boots or something like that, and you could bounce around on them. Um, so you could strap these boots on and then you could jump, you know, like Michael Jordan or whatever. Like you'd bounce around on these boots. Now he's 10 years old. Guess what two gifts he's playing with simultaneously? 
the super sharp ninja throwing star knife, and the pogo boots. And I, I found him, and like a very responsible uncle, I was like, hey, buddy, you should probably not be playing with those things together. And I made him change his course of action, but not until after I had taken a picture that I want to show you. I wanted to make sure I got like this documented. You can see in his, uh, in his right hand, there's the, the dangerous throwing star thing, and then there's the boots <laughs> bouncing around the house on this is, this, what this gift is, this is a gift to the ER. This is like all that gift is. Like, here you go. Here's a trip to the ER. Uh, you have to unwrap it and pay for it yourself. It'll be fun for everybody. These gifts uh, seem dangerous. Uh, there are some gifts that seem safe. Cheese of the Month Club seems safe. A tie for dad seems safe. A coffee mug. Th- those are safe gifts. Those seem safe. And I think a lot of us feel very safe with certain gifts of the Spirit. We feel safe with gifts like mercy and generosity and leading and teaching and serving. Those feel safe. Nobody's going to argue about those gifts. Nobody's going to say the Spirit isn't manifesting those gifts within the church, within Christians. We do not feel so safe. These feel more like ninja throwing stars and pogo boots. We do not feel so safe with gifts like speaking in tongues and healing and prophecy. Those seem dangerous. And the reason they seem dangerous is because all of us, every single one of us in here, have seen those abused in one way or another. You have all, everybody has watched a YouTube video or turned on TV late at night and you were flipping channels and there was some televangelist with the big hair and they were looking right at the screen and there was an opportunity to give your credit card and that person was claiming that if you sow a seed of $100 or more, then you will receive the blessings of healing in your life and God will, will prosper you if you sow a seed, if you give to this particular ministry. And you watched that and you thought, that doesn't seem right. That something about that seems off. Something about that seems wrong. Or you were like, that is absolutely wrong. That is absolutely false. But there's something about that that didn't sit right. Or maybe you guys remember, this has been almost a decade ago now, um, but it's happened many times. You remember the guy who rented all the billboards and told everybody in the United States that the world was going to end on May 21st, 2011? You remember that? I don't know. His name was Harold Camping. You can look. He's, he's well, he's dead now, but, uh, but you can, the bill, pictures of the billboards are still up. I mean, even here in Minnesota, I remember at the time thinking, like, this is absolutely wild. He claimed to have the gift of prophecy, and he said, this is what the Spirit was revealing to me. He had done a bunch of math and figured all these things out. And then, of course, May 22nd, 2011 came around, and he came out of his house to do an interview, and he was completely shell-shocked, like, I don't know what happened. I've I was so sure, so sure. But you saw that and you thought, that seems wrong. That seems, something's wrong there. And there's been so many examples of that. We, we, there's lots of guys where you can watch YouTube videos, guys like, names like Benny Hinn, where he'll pack an, a coliseum with a bunch of people and then he'll start putting his hand on their forehead. He'll pick people out of the crowd. And then what do the people do? They like pass out on the stage. And if you watch enough of those videos, you'll see ones where he takes off his jacket and he's just waving his jacket around the coliseum. And everybody like within the distance of his jacket is like falling down. And you're looking at that. And you're like, I, I don't. People are saying that that's the spirit, but that doesn't seem right. And because those seem so dangerous and off, a lot of us, a lot of Christendom has gone all the way over to this end and say, that just doesn't happen anymore. Those are too dangerous. We're going to play it safe. Let's stick with mercy and generosity and loving and serving and all that. Let's just stay all the way away from those gifts. I uh, picked, uh, well, I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm a confessional. I've had a COVID test since then. I picked up a hitchhiker 
um, I don't know, a while back. Back when, you know, it was a little too cold to be walking around. And I know hitchhikers, you're not supposed to pick up hitchhikers because they're all serial killers. I know. Anyway, he got in the car. He's obviously homeless. And uh, <laughs> there's more to the story that I'll tell you sometime. But anyway, we're talking and he, he says, uh, what do you do for a living? And, and that's always a tricky question to answer um, as a preacher because people get a little weird around us. I don't know, those of you that have been preachers, um, you answer that question and people like immediately, most of the time, they either ask you like a really, you know, like personal complex question that you're not sure how to answer or they kind of shut down because they think that you're going to make them confess and give to their ministry or something like that. And so it just kind of, it, it's just weird. It, it changes the, the tone in the conversation. But this guy, you know, I'm driving along. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a preacher. I work at a church, minister. And, uh, and he did something I've never had happen before. He goes, he's sitting in the passenger seat and he goes, oh, preachers. Preachers can be bad dudes. I was like, so me driving, I'd never had this experience before with that reaction, but my first reaction, I was kind of proud. Like, I was like, I'm never considered a bad boy. Nobody considers the preachers the bad boy. Like, maybe you want to get a leather jacket, you know, pop the collar and like, yeah, I'm a bad boy. Us preachers, you know. And I was like, yeah, that's true. They can be bad. And he started talking about, you know, like some bad things that had happened with preachers he had had experiences with. And, and it's interesting too, even in preparation for this sermon, I googled preacher and news just to see what like headlines would pop up in the preaching world. Uh, you know that they were all negative. <laughs> they were all things like preacher embezzles, you know, money from whatever. It was not, there was no pot, there was no, ser- there's no news articles that was like, hey, preacher gives awesome sermon, you know, crowd gives him standing ovation. There's nothing like that. It was all like negative stuff. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah, preachers are bad dudes. So because preachers are bad dudes and preaching has been manipulated and preaching has caused damage to people's faith and their life and their theology, we should just avoid it at all costs, right? We should just completely do away with preaching because there can be no benefit from it because it's people have abused it, right? No, we should do it correctly. We should point out when it's wrong and we should operate where we should correctly. Now, uh, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We figure it out and we do it right. So because people have abused the gifts, people like Benny Hinn and those YouTube people and people that go crazy and say you have to give to our ministry, because they've abused the gifts, is that a good enough reason on its own to say, no, well, let's just avoid it altogether. In fact, let's say it doesn't even exist today. No. It's a good reason to figure it out and get it right. But some of you are, are thinking, okay, all right, Patrick, I get you. Yeah, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But um, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure that growing up, I heard a sermon. Remember, we're talking to people who have, uh, you know, are on one end of the spectrum about this. Growing up, I heard a sermon that, that, that this is all going to go away. All those miraculous things will go away eventually. They're just going to, they're going to stop. And we, that was for a different era and a different time, kind of like, you know, Moses parting the Red Sea. God's not going to do that every time you go to Colby Lake or Powers Lake. You're not going to stand on the edge and be, you know, like uh, Bruce Almighty style with the tomato soup, if you remember that movie. That's not what we can expect all the time today. But then there are other people who are like, no, read the scripture. This is like a common normative experience for the people in scripture. 
When there is this debate, it typically comes down to one single passage of Scripture. In fact, the entire debate primarily comes down to one word in one single passage of Scripture. Now, I love Bible study, love this kind of stuff. We're going to do a little Bible study for a few minutes, and I think it will, you'll find it valuable. But you might have to pay a little extra attention if this isn't your thing. We're going to do just a little, little digging in. The verse that they're talking about is 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to read two verses, or three, yeah, two verses in there, uh, or three, 8 through 10. This is the verse. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, and he's not just talking about knowing stuff, he's talking about supernatural knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, that which is in part disappears. Completeness comes. Um, parents, have you ever had something like this happen? This is hypothetical. My kids haven't done this, but they'll, uh, they'll like walk up to you, you know, you're watching TV or something, and they'll come to you and they'll be like, hey dad, can I have something to eat? And you're like, sure, yeah. Fridge is always open, you know, I took the locks off it, so you're fine. Go get yourself something to eat. We don't have locks on our fridge. And uh, so, you, you know, you'll check on them 30 minutes later, and they'll be like in their room with a pint of ice cream and a giant spoon, and they've just like drained that thing. And in your mind, the question you were answering is like, Dad, can I have a healthy snack like an apple or something like that? And they probably are smart enough to know that's what you're thinking, but they've asked the question in such a way that they can use your answer to apply to a different question. Because if they had said, can I have ice cream? Your answer might have been different. So they have to ask it in just a certain way. So they're manipulating. Yes, you answered. Yes, you can have something to eat. But they took your answer... And they applied it to a different question. 99.9% of the time when the Bible gets misunderstood or misused or misapplied, this is how it happens. We try to get the Bible to answer questions that it's not trying to answer. And we use verses to force our questions to answer questions the Bible isn't trying to answer. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage. Now, uh, again, a little Bible study here. Your translation, if you've opened up your Bible app or have your Bible open, your translation might have a different word than completeness. Anybody else have a different word in what they're looking uh, at in their, in their Bible? Perfect. Yeah, when the perfect comes. Exactly. And most translations actually use the word perfect. Most translations other than the one I'm using here, which is the NIV, they use the word perfect. So, so there's something. When perfection or when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Real quickly, there's an interesting, I know this is probably not going to be interesting to anybody but me, but there's an interesting philosophical difference in the language here. So, for example, we have one idea of perfect in modern American English, but ancient Greek has a different idea of perfect. So let me show you a picture uh, on the screen here. Is that a perfect circle? No, I, yeah, right, duh. No, of course it's not a perfect circle. In ancient Greek, that is a perfect circle. Now, in modern English, perfection means flawless. It means without fault. It means that there's nothing that you could point to that has any problem or anything wrong. In ancient Greek, perfection meant it's complete. 
So if a, like, you know, they would literally use this word to describe kids who had grown up, you know, who had, who had, been, who had completed growing. They would say that child is perfect, right? Now, are they flawless? No, but according to ancient Greek, they're perfect. And I thought, I, you know, this is a terrible you know, joke, but I thought this would be a great thing to use in like our uh, Valentine's cards this week because you could, you could honestly write in your Valentine's card, honey, I think you are perfect in the ancient Greek sense of the word, right? Doesn't mean you're flawless, just means you're, you're complete. <laughs> I thought that might be good. We'll, we'll see. Maybe not so much. The question that, that Paul is answering in 1 Corinthians 13 is this. Is, are the gifts more important than loving people? And Paul is saying no. Because they had taken the gifts and they had turned them into a status symbol and they had created subclasses within the church with the cool kids who were exercising these certain gifts and the not cool kids who didn't have those gifts. And Paul was saying, listen, it's not more important that you have those gifts than that you love people. He goes, love never fails. In fact, all those other things are in part. They are imperfect. They are incomplete. But someday perfection or completeness will come and those things that are in part will be done away with. So the million dollar question is, well, what is completeness? What is perfection? What is Paul referring to? Because he talks about when, so there's a point in time. What is it that Paul is referring to when he talks about perfection or completeness in, in this passage? Uh, this is a great, uh, this is a great question. What is that something? So there's generally three assumptions. The first assumption is when, and let's just like take the language of, of perfection or completeness out of there and let's insert these. Some people think Paul is saying when we get to the end of the world or when we get to eternity in the future, when we're with Jesus forever, we won't need those gifts. That's what some people think. And that makes sense, right? Why would you need the gift of healing if you're in eternity with Jesus, where everything is going to be perfect and complete? That, that, that makes sense. If that's the answer, then that means these gifts are something that operate today because we haven't reached the end of time. Now, uh, there are some problems with this assumption as well, but I mean, it, it does make sense. It kind of fits the logical flow of the whole story. But why didn't Paul just say eternity like he would in other passages? I don't know. But that's one answer. Everything will be perfect eventually. You know, we'll be playing harps on, with uh, Elvis on a cloud. And so we won't need any of these other things, that, these miraculous gifts. Okay, could be. I don't know why he wouldn't just say that, but that could be an answer. That's a possibility. The second thing a lot of people suggest is that these gifts are for when the church grows up. So, for example, when the church is just starting out, it needs training wheels. They haven't figured this all out yet, and they're just prone to, like, making mistakes and going off left and right, and they needed the, the spirit, they needed the miraculous gifts to help them grow and mature and just, you know, like, really take off. But once the church grew up, remember the very next verse in this passage says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I grew up, when I reached perfection, I put away childish things. And so a lot of people think it's just referring to, like, the church. And then they would say that maybe when the church is expanding to new frontiers on the mission field, you might see some of these gifts happen in miraculous ways. And sometimes you do hear stories back from the mission field where you're like, man, I don't know. That is wild. There's some crazy stuff that's happening over there. Maybe. And that's a, that's a potential answer um, for what this could be. 
Most of you in the room have at least in some way heard this third answer, that the completeness or the perfection is when we finally get the New Testament. When it all comes together, when all Paul's letters, all Peter's letters, John's writings, the Gospels, when somebody puts them all together, makes a book, and then we can all take that book with us as we go about our day. Once we have this book, we won't need this supernatural gifts. This is what I was taught growing up. This is likely what a lot of you were taught growing up. I checked in my old um, Bible college textbook, and th- there it is right there. That's what, what my, one of my professors uh, taught, this exact concept. And, th- and that could be because the argument is this. Like if you were Paul or Peter and you're going to like a new people and you're, you're walking into like Athens and they don't know you from anybody. They have no idea who you are. And you're like, hey guys, good news. Uh, there was this guy named Jesus. You've never heard of him. He's just a carpenter back here in my hometown but, or my home country. But, but he died. Oh, that's too bad. Sorry to hear about that, Paul. No, no, no. He rose again and now you can be saved and you can live for eternity. Uh, okay, that's nice, Paul. Uh, why should we believe you that some guy came back to life? And Paul could say, well, how about this? I'll heal this paralyzed man. And that will be a sign substantiating the claim that I'm making. And you could be like, okay, all right. I guess that, yeah, that, that makes sense. But now today, if we go to some new people group or we go to a friend or neighbor and we say, hey, guess what, Joe, uh, Jesus died. You've heard of Jesus because everybody's heard of Jesus now. He died and he rose again and he can save you from your sins. Uh, how am I supposed to believe you? Well, we, it's right here in the book. We, John 3.16, it says it right there. And so that makes sense how if it's to substantiate the claims people are making, how we could think that this concept is about when we get the New Testament. There are a lot of assumptions built in there. Um, and I, I could list a bunch of them, and I can, you can ask me later if you want to to hear more about that. Um, but Paul actually tells his audience why we need these supernatural spiritual gifts. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7? For the common good. Not to substantiate these difficult claims, although that was true, Paul says, I, the Spirit has gifted you for the common good. And that need is still true today. That need still exists today. Personally, I think the New Testament one is the least compelling answer because you have to assume that Paul was thinking, oh, in my, in someday, 300 years from now, we're going to compile all these things together and everybody's going to get a leather-bound book or an app that they can take wherever they go and then we can just look up everything. I don't know that Paul was thinking that. I know for sure his audience wasn't thinking that. So it's a strange assumption to take from modern times with what we know and inject it into an ancient culture. I just don't think it's a very compelling idea. So let me say this. Here's the important piece of all this, and it's a confession. Um, really, here's what I think. I've, I, have, I have studied this a lot. You, go, you stop by my office on the, on the way out, and I've just got stacks of books, and I've been reading books. I've been reading all the experts, all different strands of thinking, people who disagree on these topics. You know, I've been reading articles, watching sermons, all kinds of stuff, reading the Greek, looking, trying, to, trying to figure out Greek participles, all this stuff, and here's my confident conclusion about what completeness means. I do not know. I don't know. And and here's the thing. Evidently, a lot of people don't know because everybody is just making guesses about what's going on. We, We really don't know. And so this is really important to say that the Spirit cannot do something 
because of an assumption about a single word in a single verse, I just think is a bad idea. That just doesn't seem very smart to me. Here's what I do want to say, and here's the confession piece, is that um, I have not always been very humble about this topic. I am very much over on the skeptical end of the, the spectrum. Um, and I've all, I've very, in fact, I've been the type of person that if somebody said, oh, you know, God spoke to me the other day, in my mind, I'm too polite to tell him this. In my mind, I'm like, no, he didn't. <laughs> How arrogant is that? What do I know about what God's doing in somebody's life? No, he didn't speak to you. God doesn't do that. Goodness, Patrick. I mean, God, the Spirit really has to be like, Patrick, you are such a know-it-all to think that you have any guesses as to what I'm doing in somebody else's life. Like, how crazy is that kind of stuff? When somebody would tell me, like, I, I witnessed, you know, my, my grandmother had this sickness and she was healed. I, I, I was the type of person who was like, ah, she's probably going to get better anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. You know, I'm the person you don't want praying because, like, how little faith is that, right, to... to to say, oh, the Spirit isn't really going to do those things. But that's been who I am. And, 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 and that's been who we have generally been as a church. I'm, I'm saying I've probably been a more extreme version of that, but I think that's been who we have been as a church. I have found that misplaced confidence and arrogance really go hand in hand. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> misplaced confidence and arrogance go hand in hand. And that's been me. Like thinking I knew exactly what the Spirit would and wouldn't do. And I believe the Spirit has made it clear to me over the last few years that I was totally wrong. I was totally wrong to be so dismissive and condescending about what other people were experiencing in the Spirit. Uh, evidently, if you read Galatians 5.22, condescension is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. So that wasn't the Spirit in me telling people what the Spirit can and can't do in other people's lives. So here's what I want for our family, for our church family, as we wrap up. This is what I want for myself. This is what I want for you. I, I want us to be humble and open to whatever the Spirit wants to do and however He wants to do it. That's what I want. That's it. However He wants to do it. Well, Patrick, some of those gifts are dangerous. Okay, well, let's do it right then. But let's not just ignore what God might be able to do through the Spirit because we decided it's, it's too dangerous. Well, what about completeness? Well, if you can figure out that, what that word means and you've got it all over all the scholars and all the academics, well, let us know. You should get up here and preach that. Well, Patrick, but what's to prevent us from going off the deep end like those televangelists? Don't worry. That was a problem in the first century as well. And within Scripture, there are guidelines for how those spiritual gifts should be used and manifested within the church. It's, it's a problem that they deal with. Now, there's lots more we could talk about, but their answer wasn't to say, well, there's problems, so let's just ignore it all. Their answer was to say, let's figure it out. Let's correct mistakes. Let's get it right. The Spirit, I mean, I, you guys know this, the Spirit inspired Scripture. The Spirit isn't going to contradict Scripture. So if I get up here and I say, God told me that the New Testament is baloney, you guys would be like, no, because that's the Spirit too. That's the Spirit as well. That's exactly what the, the, the way that the Spirit guides and, and directs. So there's lots more questions, lots more strands we could talk about, lots more arguments, lots more academic stuff, lots more Bible study we could have. If you have questions about this particular thing, come talk to me. I have tons of resources. I was going to print some stuff again for you to take home and read through, and it was just like, it was going to be like 30 pages of stuff. So if you want that, I have it. Arguments for, arguments against, everything. 
And I'm happy to share it with you because we're, we want to explore. We want to know. We want to know what the Spirit's up to. Uh, we want to just dig deep, but we want to be led by the Spirit in the fullness of whatever the Spirit's bringing to us. All right? I think we can agree on that. That's good. That's good. I mean, in fact, I, I'm, I'm going off script here a little bit, but let me say this. I think our church has done lots of great things over the years. I really do. You can point to people's lives and the, and the way the church has really come in and helped. I do wonder, I do wonder if, if we have not stunted our own growth by being so uh, averse to the many ways the Spirit might be able to work in and through us. I wonder if there might not be more people present today if we were more open to the Spirit. I wonder if there might not be more transformation here and now if we were more open to the Spirit. That's what I want for us. That's what I want for our church, however the Spirit wants to do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, th- we thank you uh, for these challenging ideas, Lord, and especially as we get into these topics that require a lot of thoughtfulness and nuance and caution. But God, I pray that we would, we would just be people who are, are letting our sailboats be blown by the wind of the Spirit. Uh, God, that we would not try to be in the driver's seat and grab the wheel and tell you what the Spirit can and can't do, but that we would be submissive and open to the ways that you want to work in us. God, we pray that we could begin to see that as we begin to open ourselves to your spirit working through us for the common good. It's in Jesus' name we pray.